The Strategic Leader Podcast, episode number 242. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. I am so grateful that you've joined us for this episode of the Strategic Leader Podcast. My name is Brian Holmes, and let me just say, if this is your first time, welcome. If you are a regular listener to the program, we are super excited to have you in this wonderful community of leaders. Hey, we're in the process of transitioning our program to a new and upgraded format and feel, and while we're transitioning... I've decided to highlight some of our most impactful episodes so far. If you're ready to take your life and leadership to the next level, then I am sure this episode is going to make a huge difference in your life. Let's get focused, let's get engaged, and let's go all in right now. Well, you've heard it said many times that readers are leaders. I know you've heard that. Readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. Well, this is absolutely true. I would suggest to you that leading is about more than just filling your head with a lot of knowledge and a lot of stuff. It's really about truly learning. And most importantly, it's about implementing what you learn. My guest today exemplifies what this kind of a life looks like. Jeff Brown is a podcaster, a mentor, a speaker who is incredibly passionate about helping others bridge the gap between intentionality and implementation. He achieves this every single day by sharing his professional insights and the insights of successful people from all over the world. They're sharing on leadership, personal development, productivity, entrepreneurship, and so much more. And he does this through his blog, his podcast, through personal consulting, and of course, speaking. You might recognize already why he and I connected on such a high level. Before beginning his highly acclaimed top-ranking Read-Delete podcast, Jeff spent 26 years in the radio business. Today, he lives near Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Annie, and I love this because this is another thing we have in common. He lives with his wife, Annie, and with his two miniature dachshunds, Fritz and Frank. (laughs) For those that don't know, we also have one miniature dachshund. His name is Scooter. Like That's not a German name at all. Jeff has interviewed a number of New York Times bestselling authors, including John Maxwell, Seth Godin. Dan Miller, Daniel Pink, Simon Sinek, Chris Brogan, Gary Vaynerchuk, Liz Wiseman, and so many others. Jeff and I met earlier this year at a Ray Edwards event, and quite honestly, we both immediately felt connected. We knew that it was what we call a divine appointment. Jeff's a wonderful leader. He has a beautiful spirit, and most notably, he is making a huge impact in our world I am so excited to have him with us today on the program. Let's go right now to my exclusive interview with Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown, it is an honor to have you on the Strategic Leader Podcast, my friend. Welcome. Well, the honor is all mine. Uh, I'm excited to do this and and thrilled to be asked uh, to be here. So, So thank you for the invitation. I want to start by saying that I am incredibly jealous because God gave you a radio voice. 
<laughs> and he gave me this thing. So I'm grateful, but I'm just saying, uh, you've got such an incredible voice, man. Uh, so he gave you good looks. Uh, I, on the other hand, <laughs> well, my wife might agree with you. I'm not sure how I feel about that. So, <laughs> man, tell us a little bit about you. I've introduced you uh, here a little bit, given our audience a little bit of your background, but I want to hear your story. Kind of tell us about Jeff, where he comes from, how you got where you are today, and and just a little bit about your journey. Well, I was born in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my journey uh, as a broadcaster, uh, uh, that's something a lot of people key in on and, and are curious about. And I kind of fell into radio, honestly. Um, I had had a fascination with the medium as a child and played you know, disc jockey in my bedroom. And I remember having a turntable, analog radio, and eight-track player built into one you know unit. <laughs> I'm, no, we, I'm that old. We just lost an entire generation of audience <laughs> listeners here because they don't have a clue what you just said about eight-tracks. Yeah. <laughs> What's an eight-track player? Yeah, that that was uh, my chance to kind of pretend to DJ when I was a kid. I, I got a tape recorder one year for Christmas, and so I was always fascinated with audio. But uh, throughout junior high and high school, I, I demonstrated a, uh, a talent for music and played an instrument. And so I went to college as a music ed major and then had a semester of student teaching my junior year at the junior high level, uh, middle school level. And I realized this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't know what else to do, where else to turn, uh, what direction to take. I was just completely at a loss. And so I just dropped out much to the uh, chagrin of my my parents who felt at that time that wow we wasted all this all this money, uh, but uh, I, I would I would be out for three years before actually going back and and completing a degree uh, this in uh, uh, business management and administration just a sort of an all purpose degree and this time I paid for the education myself because my parents were done with that, uh, but during that that time in between uh, going to school uh, is when I uh, sort of found radio or radio found me and. Uh, a lot of uh, the, those early years was me learning on the job. I was able to get my foot in the door and, you know, sweep floors and do whatever it is they would allow me to do. And over time, just kind of, uh, you know, built up uh, uh, their trust and, and got to do, you know, get behind the board and push buttons, but I couldn't talk yet. I wasn't allowed to turn the microphone on. And then then later I, I demonstrated that I, I could do that and not, you know, build the, uh, burn the building down and, uh, and so, you know, with each successive month, I got to do a little bit more until I kind of, you know, spread my wings fully about, I guess, about nine months in and got to be a real live DJ on a real live radio station and play music and, and have all, all sorts of fun. So that was, you know, all the way back in, uh, gosh, uh, 29 years ago in 1987. Wow. Um, and up until three years ago, um, I did radio uh, in one form or another. Some of that part time, I ended up going off into the music business in Nashville for four years in the late 90s and did radio part-time during that time. And I was a radio promotions guy. And so I called on radio stations and convinced them to play our artist's latest single and that sort of thing, you know, leveraging those relationships I'd built up over the years. And then after four or so years of that, ended up back in radio where I remained for about 13 years until the career uh, officially ended back in 2013. So how did you come about making the leap from that mainstream radio career into more of an entrepreneurial endeavor? 
Uh, we, we all know you're the host of the great Read to Lead podcast, and may I say that uh, your podcast is one of five that I never miss. Mm. I have a few other subscriptions on my iPhone, but there mm. are five that are must-listen-tos, and yours is one of those because it's that to me it's that valuable. You bring such great content, but there, there had to be uh, some sort of a transitional phase between where you were and then what you're doing now. How did that work for you? What was that about? Well, first of all, thank you for saying those kind things about my podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, The transition consisted of the words, um, today's your last day. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, one of those, huh? (laughs) One of those, yeah. Um, uh, I'll go back just for context. A few years prior to that, about 2010, um, I kind of felt like uh, that my radio career wouldn't be something that I would do forever. Uh, plus, I began sort of getting comfortable with the idea that one day I might like to work for myself. And a lot of that came from the books I was reading and, you know, kind of expanding my horizons and in, in, in that thinking. Um, I used to be the type of person, Brian, who could not imagine not having a regular job and working for someone and and just, you know, put all my eggs in that basket. And to me, that was security and having the every other Friday paycheck in the bank and vacation days and benefits and all that. Uh, despite the fact that I'd had my share of radio jobs, uh, I still, you know, saw that as security. Uh, when you look at that, though, you realize how easily that can be taken away. So it's not really all that secure. And so I began getting comfortable with the idea of working for myself, which meant not having, you know, uh, always having a good idea month to month of what was going to happen, uh, financially speaking. And I uh, got past that fear and... um began sort of, I guess you could say planning for that to a degree in the sense that I started a side hustle, a side business where um, I helped mostly local businesses, but some in other parts of the country um, create and launch mobile apps for their businesses. Many of them brick and mortar uh, type businesses who were trying to, you know, wrestle with mobile and, you know, iPhones were only about two or three years old at that time. And, and the thinking was, if you were a small business, you couldn't afford to be in that space. And I was trying to sort of break those walls, those barriers down and show businesses that that's not necessarily the case. And so I was doing that on the side, earning you know, a decent income uh, from 2010 to 2013, thinking that if I did plan to go out on my own uh, and, and try to figure things out, that this might be something that I would do full time or at least be something that would allow me to be on my own while I figured out whatever that was. And so when June 17th, 2013 rolled around and I got, uh, you know, sort of the notice that, hey, we're restructuring, we're, we're, we're cutting a few positions, yours is one of them. Um, then I just jumped into that head first and that became sort of full time for me. Uh, thankfully, you know, I, I had that before I needed it and, and, and was able to do that and jump into it uh, head first. And so for the first six or eight months, I was on my own that was the majority of my income. And I knew I was going to be okay really at the outset. Uh, but there was something that happened within 30 days that kind of solidified this. When, when, when all this first came down, my wife, a day or two later, Brian said, well, you're either dealing with this really, really well or you're hiding it really, really well. You know, which is it? And I told her straight up that, that um, I was 100% content and at peace with this transition um, I reminded her that at the beginning of that same year, the two of us had talked about me leaving by the end of the year and what that might look like. And I said, we, you know, our timetable's just been moved up six months. That's all. 
and I had no doubt that that uh, you know this was what God wanted for our marriage and for my you know vocation at the time. And so, uh, within thirty days though of being let go, I had invoiced twice as much as what I was making in my wow. job. Um, now it's you know one thing to invoice it, and it's another thing to get it. Yeah, right. I realized that, but when that happened, um, that that to me really put my, my mind at ease. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to make this work regardless of what the future holds and, and how I earn an income. Uh, I'll be okay one way or the other. That's incredible. And you know, what you've just described is, is one iteration or variation of how transitions oftentimes work. In your case, it sounds like that for two or three years leading up to the critical moment when the, the J-O-B said it's time to go, uh, you were almost in a a preparation and discovery sort of seeking it out mode you you were your heart was being prepared for what was waiting for you on the other side of that that that's exactly right i didn't know that at the time i can't say that i you know i was fully aware of that then um but as i said before i knew that i wasn't necessarily going to do radio for the rest of my life and frankly i was i had gotten to a place in my career where i had done all the things i'd wanted to do to the point where i'd moved up the ranks enough where I could say, you know what? I don't think I want to be on the air anymore because getting up at two forty-five in the morning yeah. stinks. And so <laughs> I was able to work, you know, behind the scenes those last five or so years I was in it. Um, but I had kind of, uh, I can't think of a better way to say it. I'd kind of gotten bored with it. I'd done everything I wanted to do. I'd accomplished all I'd wanted to accomplish and I was ready for a new challenge, but I was continuing to kind of just, you know, go through the motions and, and collect the paycheck and do all the things expected of me while I was still trying to kind of figure out, well, what would that look like exactly? And uh, the funny thing is, is a few months before this happened, I said to a buddy of mine, a guy who I've had lunch with just about every week for the last 15, 16 years, I said, you know, probably the best thing that could happen to me is for me to get let go and shoved <laughs> out of the nest. And, and that would force me to figure things out. And lo and behold, a few months later, that's, that's exactly what happened? And so I remembered that conversation, and I and I, I shared that with my wife when she questioned, you know, how I was, how I was responding to this and reacting to this inside. And I said, you know what, uh, God's in control, and and we're going to be fine. And I think this is all, as as the Joker said in in the Dark Knight, all part of the plan. That's that's right, <laughs> that's right. You know, for those of us who are believers, and I, I recognize that not everyone who listens to mine or your podcast are necessarily professing Christians. That's fine. Uh, Wonderful people from all walks of life. But for those of us who are believers, I think we have to to understand that God has plans for us. And many times those aren't revealed to us in advance. We, Hmm. We do have to sort of walk it out. And it is sometimes an unknown. And sometimes it does take take a bit of an exercise of faith. And sometimes God will bring circumstances into our life to, like you said, kick you out of the nest and sort of make you say, okay, now I've got to engage this deal. But uh, you've just described what I call the four stages of successful transition. It's discontent, Mm -hmm. discovery, developing that idea or whatever that business is, and then just getting after doing it. And Mm -hmm. so that's really exciting to hear. It's encouraging, I think, to those who are listening to know that wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, if you feel that that angst and, and some sort of a desire to move on to a next level in your life, it's absolutely doable. And uh, you're a living testimony to that, man. Well, thanks, Brian. And I will add that uh, I think for me as a believer, um, I think God knew that 
I, I needed his permission to leave uh, that job uh, in large part because so many years before, I felt like he had brought that to me. And um, as I struggled to kind of pray through that, I think there was a part of me that would always second guess if I did leave, as my wife and I had talked about earlier in the year, had I left on my own, I think I might have looked back on that and second guessed whether or not that was the right decision as we often as humans will do. And and, and the circumstances and the way everything fell, it was almost as if, as if God was giving me permission to move on. He was He was taking that off the table for me so I didn't have to worry about having having you know, regretted that decision later. You bring up a great point and it makes me uh, really, I guess I'm kind of compelled to ask you this question. Do you think that oftentimes when people are deeply convinced that God has opened a particular door for them or brought them into a particular context or situation that in their mind, that sort of um, becomes such an embedded reality that they feel almost as though that if they if they made a move forward from that point, they would be abandoning the will of God or maybe turning their back on what God did for them. I, you get what I'm saying? I mean, I just wonder how many people get stuck in something that God did, but for a previous season, and they miss what might be opening to them in the new season. Yeah, and I think that I was on the verge of that. In fact, um, I mean, if I look at it, with complete transparency and honesty, um, I think God's uh, preference would have been for me to have left there sooner than I did. I think he got tired of waiting on me. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, let's just take this off the table and then you can get on with it. Let's just P- do pretty that. Pretty gracious of him if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, very much so. That's awesome, man. So <laughs> as you now step out into your business, you're invoicing, you've got clients you're working with, things are going on. How did the Read to Lead podcast come out of that? How, where was the inception of that, and, and how did that kind of get born out of this whole tr- pro- uh, process? Yeah, one of the great things about working for that last radio company I worked for, and I had the privilege to be there for the entirety of the second half of my radio career. I was there for 13 uh, years of 26 years total mm-hmm. in the business. And uh, a gentleman that I worked for much of that time, a guy named Matt Austin, who's now at a station in Dallas, fantastic leader. And he's the one who turned me on. It's, he's the one to blame for why the Read to Lead podcast exists primarily. Because uh, he was the one really the first in my life. Uh, I sh- well, I shouldn't say the first, but when he turned me on to a certain uh, genre of books, you know, business and personal growth, uh, I was at a place in my life where I was uh, receptive to that. Another uh, person earlier in my radio career attempted to do that when I was in my early 20s. And I was too young, I think, and too immature to appreciate it. But fast forward 10 or 12 years, and uh, another leader uh, presented me with with books that I was ignoring, books that I wasn't reading. Um, I wasn't reading, period, let alone, you know, books about leadership and personal growth, et cetera. And uh, when I was in my early 30s, uh, I got that second chance and um, just fell in love with, with that with that genre of books. And uh, we as a staff read them and, and talked about them on a weekly basis. And my foray into that was books like Purple Cow by Seth Godin, sure. Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Pat Lincioni, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins and, and, and books of, you know, in that, in that uh, time period, you know, 15 or so years ago. Uh, and I just couldn't get enough. I became a voracious reader and fast forward to 
early March of, of 2013, that year that I eventually got let go, and I set a very modest goal of reading a book a month. Um, I was actually um, doing a little bit more than that prior to that, but but I wanted to actually track it and, and see how I could keep up with it. And by the, by the end of the first quarter of the year, by the end of March, I was on my way home from work one day and still working at the radio station and counting up the books I had read so far. Some of that was the audiobooks and, and some regular books, ebooks, et cetera. And I realized I had finished 10 and it started number 11 and 12. And so I had done almost the equivalent of a book a week here, you know, three months into the year. And I said that out loud in the car. Wow, that's a book a week. And when I did, that just sort of screamed podcast to me. Wow. Um, I, had, I had thought of them uh, though they're not all, but I had sort of thought of that medium as, as a medium that is traditionally, you know, uh, content delivered weekly. Um, that's again, not always the case, but by and large, I think most podcasts are, um, and that's how I thought of them. And, and I thought to myself, well, there's that, that podcast idea. I've, I've been, I've been kicking around the idea of doing a podcast for, for a couple of years and just never settled on anything. What would I do a podcast about? It's right under my nose, right here it is. Um, and so, I was, again, passionate about reading. I was unsettled that uh, more people, uh, some of my colleagues among them, weren't doing more of it, didn't appreciate it to the extent that I did, weren't learning at the pace I was learning, and I think cheating themselves in the process. And I thought, well, maybe I can do something about that uh, and help folks you know, disseminate some of this information in a little bit more of an abbreviated way and get it straight from the author themselves. I mean, I didn't know for sure if that would work. I thought they might slam the door in my face. Who knows? But let's Let's give it a try. So I started planning and researching. And by June, that same month I got let go, I started scheduling my interviews. In fact, my first interview was with a guy named Dan Miller, uh, which ended up falling two days after I got let go. It was scheduled before that, but happened to fall just a couple of days within that time frame. Uh, and so the podcast, all that to say, the podcast was already in the planning stages when, when the job transition happened. And the launch of the podcast coincided uh, within about a month of me being let go. Uh, it was mid-July when the podcast uh, finally launched. And a lot of my person, you know, my close friends, folks at church, they they when they, when it launched, they thought, okay, this is what Jeff is doing now. He's doing this to somehow, some way, he's going to earn an income from this, and that's why he started a podcast. My job loss or job change or transition had nothing to do with the podcast. It was already in the process and just happened to be around the same time. So. I'm just amazed at the the synchronicity that was taking place there. <laughs> you and me both. It's just when you look back on that, you have to be absolutely in awe because the whole deal was being orchestrated and you didn't even know it. It was. It really was. Uh, I, I think about that. But every time I put out a new episode, I think about it. <laughs> that is so incredible, man. And, you know, you my gosh, man, I'm, I I really do in a in a godly, you know, good sort of a way i envy the work you're doing in a, in this sense that you get to engage with in conversation with some of the greatest leaders some of the greatest thought leaders some of the greatest uh organizational leaders that we really have on the planet today you've interviewed john maxwell seth godin of course dan miller our, our mutual friend uh daniel pink simon sinek who is somebody that i have great respect for uh, gary vaynerchuk and and Good Lord, the list just goes, some guy named Brian Holmes, the list goes <laughs> on and on. 
And what is it like for you to have, especially being a voracious reader and someone who loves to consume information and learn and grow, what is it like for you to sit on that side of the table and be able to, in a sense, look these guys in the eye and have that conversation? Well, I tell you, it really did feel like uh, it all came full circle in that conversation, uh, specifically with Seth Godin, whose book, Purple Cow, I mentioned a moment ago, that was sort of my introduction uh, into the business book uh, genre back in, you know, early 2000s from that leader at that radio station who said, here, here's what we're doing. I think you need to be a part of this. And so then to, you know, 13 or 14 years later, to be sitting down with that guy, having a one-on-one conversation with him was somewhat surreal. I had and have all the respect in the world for, for Seth and his work and, and uh, the, the way he's been able to help uh, so generously hundreds of thousands of people, uh, me included. And so to sit there and, and have a chat with him, have him all to myself, uh, that's one of the great things about podcasting. You know, yeah, <laughs> really yeah. the networking uh, opportunities uh, alone are, are worth doing a podcast. And so uh, I don't know how else I could have ever expected to, to have that much time one-on-one with Seth apart from a podcast. So it really was um, just a, I almost kind of saw myself kind of floating above my, my, my office. Going, Is this really happening? Out of body experience. But uh, you know, it's, it's been tremendous. It's been a great, uh, as I said, networking opportunity, a great learning opportunity. I'm not only learning as I'm reading uh, these books, but uh, obviously in the conversations themselves. And, and just, I think, uh, slowly but surely convincing uh, people who maybe haven't spent a lot of time doing this, realizing that the Read to Lead podcast, uh, until they can do it on, on a more regular basis, is maybe uh, a way to kind of take a step in that, in that direction. Why did you choose to name the podcast Read to Lead? Now, you and I are familiar mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the cliche, the, the slogans, you know, readers are leaders and leaders are readers and that sort of thing. That may be where yeah. some of the branding came from, but for you, when you think about leadership, what what is that about in your world? Yeah, for those who led me along the way, who I you know admire to this day so very much, I think of two people in particular. One uh, I mentioned, Matt Austin. Uh, another guy is Richard uh, Sickles, who early in my radio career attempted to get me to read some of these books, books by, from people like Og Mandino and oh, yes. Zig Ziglar. And oh, again, yes. I was too young to appreciate it at yeah, the time. Yeah. And I, I read them, but I, they just didn't stick the way they did a few years uh, later. And, and, and these two men in particular, I think of another one, Gary Arnold, uh, who isn't with us anymore, but... Uh, all three of these men, uh, one of the things they had in common, apart from being just great godly men, were they read all the time. They were, they were people who uh, never viewed themselves as being done with learning. Uh, there was a time in my 20s where when I graduated college, finally, after uh, dropping out for a few years, I was like, oh, thank goodness that's over. Uh, I don't have to learn anymore. Awesome. You know, I can, <laughs> I can just go off and live my life. And I had that attitude for, for several years after that until this, this more recent leader stepped in and said, no, you're not, you're not, you're not done yet. Um, and I, I can't remember who I heard this from. Maybe it was, um, might've been Seth or maybe it was Michael Hyatt. Um, who, who, I don't know who said it originally, but you know, if you, if you get one 
great idea from a book. That's that's twenty dollars pretty well spent. Yes, and I, yeah, I don't think it's enough to just read and fill your head with information. And a lot of folks get flack for spending too much time, you know, in the learning phase and 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 not enough in the execution phase. I think you can get stuck in that or use that uh, use that as an excuse not to execute on things. I think you have to take that that next step because the real the real leaders are the people who take action on on what they learn. And so that's the kind of leader I want to be. And, and, uh, but I know as I evaluate uh, all of this, the, the, the glaring omission I see in, in leaders who are struggling or leaders who are having trouble uh, convincing people they're worthy of being followed oftentimes are people who don't dedicate or value reading. They're not dedicating enough time to it and they don't value it. They kind of believe that, well, I went to college, I got a degree, I've done this, I've done that. I know all I need to know. But to me, the leaders that I've appreciated are the ones who are willing to admit they don't have all the answers. And they're, they're constantly on, you know, on a search to learn and to grow and aren't afraid to, to admit that. That is so absolutely true. And I, I have the same uh, feeling toward the people that have mentored me, spoken to my life, uh, helped to develop my particular uh, gifts and callings along the way, every one of them, avid learners, avid readers, mm. uh, very, very powerful. Uh, let me ask you this. Tell our, tell our group about the podcast. What's the format? When does it air every week? And how, how do they connect with that? Because I'm telling you, if you want to get great <laughs> summary yet deep inside information on some of the greatest books being written today, the Read to Lead podcast is the way to do that. So tell us about the program and how it mm. works. Well, it's based on the belief, I've kind of danced around it, but it's based on the belief that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. In fact, I think it's difficult to have one without the other. Yes. And um, so that's, that's, uh, that's at the outset of every episode. If, if you want true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. And so you either agree with that or you don't. <laughs> and uh, if you don't, hopefully you'll give me a chance to change your mind or to, to impact that thinking. And if you do, well, let's, let's go on this journey called a podcast. And so um, I traditionally, though I've uh, veered from this uh, a handful of times, I traditionally interview an author with each and every episode. And we're talking often about uh, their latest book or, or a book, maybe it's been out for a few months, but oftentimes it's, it's brand new or in the case of my interview this week, uh, the episode was released same day as, as the book. And so there are oftentimes books you probably haven't read yet. Some of them may not be on your, your radar even, or maybe they are on your radar, but you're not sure if they, if they make sense uh, for you. And so the idea behind the podcast is in a, an abbreviated format in 30 minutes or, or, or so to um, lay out the key insights and, and the main ideas from the book. And so in one sense, you can kind of view it as, as sort of an audio book summary or audio uh, cliffs uh, notes, if you will. Uh, but uh, in a, I think a more compelling and entertaining uh, uh, delivery uh, uh, in the sense that it's coming from the author themselves. And so I'm, I'm very adamant about, uh, you know, reading the book before I sit down with the author. I'm, I'm asking questions that have come right out of my reading. And so it isn't just kind of me, you know, looking at the, uh, the, the, the sheet, the publicist sent and said, here's, here's what so-and-so likes to talk about. 
I want, I want to dig into the meat of it and into the heart of it and help the listener understand some of the key concepts and ideas and make a decision as to, and have enough information to make a decision as to whether or not they need to go out and, and grab this book. Um, and so, you know, I have some people tell me that, that, uh, my podcast is very expensive in the sense that they, they buy a lot of books. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I, I, w- I want to just do my best to say, okay, here's what I think you need to be paying attention to. If my, if my, uh, podcast journey, um, amounts to anything, hopefully I've done a good job of winning your trust, earning your trust, uh, to the extent that, you know, if, if that individual is on my show, it's, it's somebody that I think is worthy of your time and attention. Otherwise, why have them on my show? Right. Sure. There's plenty of other you know, great books out there, so let's 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 you know go to the cream of the crop as far as Jeff Brown's opinion is concerned, and uh, hopefully over time, uh, I've I've been able to convince you that that's an opinion that you can you can trust more often uh, than not. So, what is next for Jeff Brown? What's coming around the the corner here? What things are you dreaming about, thinking about, and planning for as we come to the end of another year? Yeah, well, something I've had the privilege of doing for the last two and a half years that I don't see ending anytime soon, and I did not start a podcast to do this, but somehow I fell into uh, training and coaching and mentoring uh, new and and sometimes even existing podcasters, podcasters who have been at it for a while from a little bit of a different vantage point uh, than some of the other uh, experts might come at it. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. Many who help podcasters help them get launched and and where am I? Uh, what's in my wheelhouse is really uh, in the content side and helping you understand how to most effectively package and present your content, how to conduct interviews if that's part of what you're you're doing, and take everything that I learned in all that time in radio about being a decent communicator and applying that to this to this medium. I think there's a lot that can be learned from that medium and, and apply to this one that many aren't doing. And so I, I see myself continuing to do that for the foreseeable future. I, I enjoy that process. And much of that is one-on-one, though there are some courses that open up every now and then related to that. Uh, and then apart from that, when it comes to the Read to Lead podcast itself, I, I, I'm looking forward in 2017 to um, uh, one of two things or both, either launching products or services related to the read to lead a brand, but most likely probably a membership uh, related site that will involve me and my listeners coming together two or three times a month and learning from one another, as well as um, bringing in uh, special guests on occasion, uh, sort of uh, kind of a combination mastermind, a book club, um, uh, resource center kind of kind of community kind of thing all those rolled into one the the sort of working name right now is is read to lead university and so uh that's something i hope to be able to get off the ground in in early 2017 if not before that's fantastic i'm in just let me know (laughs) that's awesome well how can people connect with you directly and find out more about what you're doing yeah uh read to lead podcast.com is is the main site uh, i wanted read to lead.com but as uh you might imagine it wasn't available so i added the word podcast there read to lead podcast.com and if you're at all interested in the uh the podcast mentoring uh coaching side of things i encourage you to check out podcaster 
com. That's awesome. Jeff, man, I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And, and you and I met just earlier this year at one of our mutual friend Ray Edwards conferences. And we just happened to be seated next to each other on the, on the first day. And, you know, one of those accidents, right? One of those crazy <laughs> accidents. But I am grateful to have you in my life. I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing. You are making a difference. Before we let you go, I have one last question for you. You've interviewed so many great people, and you have obviously been an avid learner and reader for so many years. When it comes to leadership principles, what is one leadership principle that has stood out to you and really had an impact in your own personal growth and development? That uh, leader I mentioned in my life that had an impact was good at this. And one particular guest uh, by the name of uh, Liz Weissman wrote a book about this very topic. Um, uh, multipliers, how the best leaders make everyone smarter, I think is the, is the subtitle. And, and the concept here is just the kind of leader. And I, I hinted at this a moment ago, that person who isn't afraid to admit they don't know everything. And so they're in a constant state of learning. I appreciate leaders who, who uh, uh, likewise are not afraid to hire people maybe smarter than they are. I've worked for some leaders that oh, yeah. uh, who have felt threatened. You know, if you, were, if you were more talented in a particular area than they were, they, they didn't allow you to spread your wings in that area because that, you know, somebody might find out because as the leader, they're supposed to be the best at everything. And, and I think the smartest leaders realize that that's not the case at all. And, and, the, and the key is to surround yourself with people who complement, uh, you know, your skills. And I've appreciated those who are, uh, understand the power in leveraging the collective brain power in the room and understanding that uh, everybody wins when you surround yourself with people who, who have uh, you know, skills you don't have. And so uh, I think of all the leadership traits uh, that I have uh, read about and learned about and, and seen implemented in my own life, that's probably at or near the top of the list. That's fantastic. Jeff Brown, thank you for being with us today, man. You are uh, just a joy, and we are grateful, and hope to do this again with you very, very soon. Uh, well, I appreciate, again, the invitation, Brian. Thank you so much. It was a privilege to be here and to, to be a part of your show's history. I'm, I'm very grateful. Well, thank you for joining us for this special edition episode of the Strategic Leader Podcast. I trust that you were deeply impacted as we discuss meaningful topics on how to grow your life and your leadership and, of course, your influence. You can find the show notes for this episode at brianholmes.com. And we're reminding you that for the next couple of weeks, maybe months, we're going to be bringing you some of our very best podcast content. We don't want you to miss any of those, so tune in each week and we'll continue to bring you wonderful, wonderful content. Hey, we're busy behind the scenes around here updating and upgrading our website, upgrading our podcast, and preparing to launch some really awesome projects. And we're, well, you know, we're looking to the next chapter in our own lives with our work, with our companies. And uh, we want to encourage you to engage with transition. It's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. You just have to walk it out. So if you're discontent, engage it. If you're in the process of disconnecting, engage it. If you're looking right now and searching for what's next in your life, engage it. 
because the next chapter, the next realm, the next level is going to be awesome. Well, last thing I want to encourage you to do, subscribe to our weekly email updates and do share this episode with your friends on social media. Let everyone know what you're engaging with here at brianholmes.com. We would greatly appreciate that. Until next time, we love you. We bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.